I just feel really, really encouraged right now. I just believe tonight has just felt like a really big, deep breath so far. And I just want to take a moment before we go any further uh, just to say that I'm really glad that you're here tonight. And I believe the conversation that we are starting tonight, we are not going to complete this conversation, uh, but we are starting a conversation tonight that I believe matters immensely. And some of you in the room might be here because your friend said, uh, at Overflow, we're talking about mental health, come with me. Uh, and for, if this is like your first time here at Overflow, my name is Carson. Uh, I'm new here too. I've been the Overflow director for two weeks now, and I could not be more glad that you are here. Uh, it has been the best two weeks of my life, and I've gotten to just really know a lot of people over the past couple weeks. And it really has been very impactful uh, to my life and to my walk with the Lord, seeing the faith, seeing the belief, seeing the love that is in this room on Tuesday nights. And I just want us to step into that as a group. I want us to be a family here at Overflow. And family walks through hard conversations. And that's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. But the thing that I want you to hear me say before we go any further tonight, if you were to hear me say one thing tonight, and then you were to not listen to anything else that I have to say tonight, or not remember anything else that I have to, not, to say tonight, I want you to hear that there is hope in the middle. No matter what you are going through, no matter what you are struggling with, no matter that, that battle that has followed you from childhood or that little bit of trauma that seems to be sitting at your table every single morning and every single night, no matter what it is, I promise you that there is hope in the middle of what you're in right now. Regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you are going to do, there is hope for you in the middle. And that's where we're going tonight, and I would love to start uh, by sharing with you a little bit of a story about how I have processed my mental health uh, over the course of time, and I'm here to tell you tonight that I am far from having it figured out. Uh, I have struggled with depression uh, for a good bit of my life, especially since entering into college. Uh, I've struggled with chronic insecurity through that same time. Uh, I'll be real honest with you just because I want to lead the way in vulnerability tonight. Even preparing for this conversation, preparing for this series has been taxing on me in the lane of insecurity. Because as, I, as, I've, as I've thought about tonight and as I've thought about the words that we're going to be talking through tonight and the big ideas and the bullet points that we're going to really process together over the next couple of weeks, let me tell you, Overflow, insecurity has been chomping at the bit for my attention. And throughout this time of my life throughout college and really moving into the different places that I find myself in today, mental health has been incredibly hard for me. I'm not ashamed to say it because it's time we all start getting really honest about where we are. And I wanna lead the way. I don't wanna act like I have it all together. I don't wanna act like I have perfect answers to the problems that you're facing. But I can offer you my hand. I can put my arm around you. And I can introduce you to some people here at Overflow that will love you and that will care for you no matter what. So that's just the beginning. And we're going, um, I believe, in a really great direction tonight. Uh, several years ago, I was driving down a road near my house, and I saw this sign uh, for this car wash. 
And actually, one of the guys who works at the car wash is on our production team. Shout out Dylan. Uh, we didn't meet at the car wash. We met here at Overflow. Uh, he's in our broadcast audio room tonight. But uh, I, I love a car wash because I, I love having my car clean. Uh, but what I especially love about a car wash is the fact that you get three minutes of just silence while you're going through the car wash. And I discovered this one day when I went and I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like I'm, I'm on the way to work, my phone is already blowing up and I'm, a, I'm an idea guy. I love to think outside of the box. I love to dream. Uh, you can ask my team. It's very often that I'll call them really early in the morning. And it's like, what if we did this? Like this would be really, really cool. But the car wash is really unique because it doesn't allow you to call people because it's so loud in there. I have to turn my, I've like blown the speakers in my truck, guys. Like, I'm like, I want to be able to hear my music or like hear my podcast or whatever. But I kind of discovered that this like this sacred time for me in the morning was like actually really helpful because it was just time for just me to be quiet and for me to be still. And I found out that I could get a membership. So I got me a $25 a month unlimited membership. It's the greatest thing ever, guys. I can go every day. Uh, but one day as I was like really in the weeds on research for this series, I, guys, I feel like I have read and read and read, and I feel like I have learned so much. And next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more about some resources that we're gonna have available to you here uh, that have really played a big part in the content that we're gonna be walking through over the next couple of weeks. But I remember when I was in the car wash one day, uh, a couple weeks ago, I started a book uh, by Brene Brown. Any Brene Brown fans in here? Uh, she is incredible. She has a great documentary on Netflix. I would highly recommend it. Uh, and you, you will hear a lot of similarities between what uh, I will suggest to you tonight because I have learned a ton from her. But she has this book called Daring Greatly. And she, she starts the book by reading this quote by President Teddy Roosevelt uh, when he was in Paris after, or Paris after he left office. And I, as I'm sitting like in the car wash, I'm like listening to this quote unfold. And guys, by the time that I got out of the car wash, I was ready to declare war because it was so inspirational. So I brought it with me. I feel like this would be just a great like foundation for us to like begin the conversation on mental health. And we're gonna put it on the screen. Teddy Roosevelt says that it's not the critic who counts, not the man or woman uh, who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails, while daring greatly. That's what I want us to do. I want us to get in the arena. I want us to dare greatly, especially in the conversation around mental health. I believe that this matters immensely. I had a couple of my friends help me compile a list of things that came to their mind when they thought about mental health, and I believe them to be really, really helpful, and it kind of helped set the stage for where we are going tonight. They wrote down words like confusing, misunderstood, sickness, impossible, alone, 
a daily battle, different for everyone, scary, hard to talk about. People don't want to open up about it. And this last one breaks my heart. People will look at me like I'm crazy. No one is crazy for talking about their mental health. And we're stepping into it tonight. As I really began to do a lot of research about like where we are in the country that we live in, in the world that we, we call home, when what, what's the condition of mental health? Like where, where are we? And I found a lot of very interesting statistics. Man, I knew I wasn't gonna say that right. I have retainers, guys. Statistics is a very difficult word. But before we put these on the screen, I want to just say something really clearly. We cannot afford to look at these statistics as just something that we read or that we interact with on the internet. We must remember there are real people there are some of us behind these numbers. And the only reason we're talking about the numbers to begin with tonight is just to know where we are and what we are walking into. So the, the research suggests from the National Alliance of Mental Illness that one in five adults experience mental illness. That's staggering. That is a lot of people. You just draw a circle around you tonight out, one out of five of you statistically struggles with mental illness. 45% of adults get treatment. And the average delay between symptoms and treatment is 11 years. It goes on to talk about suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. This is really interesting. In our lifetime, and I, I say that objectively, like there, there's a lot of us in the room that were born all in different times, but since the year 1999 or 2000, the suicide rate has increased 35%. 78% of all people who die by suicide are male. And this next one breaks my heart because this conversation matters and this conversation has got to be safe in the walls of the church. People who identify as LGBTQ plus are four times more likely to attempt suicide. The research goes on. There's an article from the CDC that I found very interesting, and it really begins to look at what happened in the year 2020 around the COVID pandemic. Between August 2020 and February 2021, the percentage of adults with recent symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder, symptoms, not a diagnosis, just symptoms of anxiety or a depressive disorder increased from 36.4% to 41.5%. And increases were largest among adults between 18 and 29. That's us. That's this room. And then to take another step forward, some of you may have seen it. Uh, Google does a, like a recap video every single year where they dive into what was the most searched topics of the previous year. And 2020 had a lot of really big topics around COVID. In 2021, two of the biggest ones were how to heal and how to take care of your mental health. And that's globally. That's where we are. The majority of people who went on Google and searched for something we're looking for an answer to one of the two of those questions. This is why this conversation 
is so important. And we can't afford to not participate in it. If you're in the room tonight and you're like, hey Carson, I don't struggle, I'm good, my life is really, really great, and I'm fine. Well, man, I'm, I'm really, really excited for that, I genuinely am. I, I want, whoever you are, I want you in the fight with us. I want you participating in the conversation and helping people in your circle and in your community and showing up to overflow to be for people. I really believe that you have a role to play in this. And what we also know when we look at our world, and we talked a little bit about this last week, if you weren't here last week, we, we, we kind of barely scratched the surface about the world that we live in and the realities that we can often find ourselves. But there's three big ideas. When I look at our world, when I look at the your world, when I look at the things that college students struggle with, I try to sum them up into three primary ideas. And one is that chronic comparison feeds anxiety and depression. Chronic comparison is alive and well as we swipe and we swipe and we swipe and then we tab over to another app and we keep on looking and we're constantly comparing ourselves to everybody in our newsfeed. And just so you know, we're comparing their fiction with our reality, which makes this extra troublesome. Vulnerability is often considered a weakness and struggle often determines identity. And I'm on a war path, I'm on a mission overflow to change those three statements. And I think we can. I think that we can learn how to interact on Instagram and on TikTok well. I believe we can learn how to interact in conversations of vulnerability well. And I believe that we can flip the script and we can say our struggles don't determine our identity. Our struggle may be sitting at our table, but it is not sitting at the head of our table. It does not lead our life. It does not call the shots of our life. We believe that Jesus is the only one good enough to call the shots and to give us labels. And by the way, the label that Jesus gives you is beloved. And that's not conditional. He loves you. God loves you enough to give everything that he had to be with you. And one thing we know to be true about this conversation, and that's why we're like jumping in, like head first, like we are going all in, is that the conversation isn't nearly normal enough. And we are going to continue it, not only this week and not only over the next couple weeks, but this is going to be a part of the culture of overflow to ensure that everybody gets the care that they need and can do the work to reverse the script on a lot of those ideas that I know that we all struggle with. I want to give you a couple promises uh, that I just, I give them to you very personally. I give them to you on behalf of our team. If you were to talk to any one of the 70 staff members uh, that call that their office on the other side of the wall here in the, the room, if you were to talk to Jake or Jenna or any of our intern team, if you were to talk to any of the worship leaders on this stage, if you were to talk to our, our senior pastor, Mike, I believe that everybody unanimously would affirm these three promises that we want to give to you tonight. And one is unconditional support. Whether you believe in God or not, our support is for you. We care for you. We want to talk to you. We want to care for you. We're gonna be real with you. We're gonna be honest about where we are. We're gonna be honest about what your next step should or could be. And this third one's really important. A hopeful, holistic approach. Why is this important? 
Because for a long time in the context of church, we have had conversations around mental health and you have come or you've shared with somebody in the context of church and they've just given you a very Jesus juke kind of answer. And you've gone, I don't really know how to like process that. I don't know really what to do with that. I, I, had, a, I had a slide that I was gonna put up on the screen, but I, it, it, it just wasn't clicking for me, but I'm gonna tell it to you anyway. Uh, have you ever heard the quote, just pull up yourself by your bootstraps or the exact part of the quote, I don't remember, but you probably heard that idea. That is not our approach. Just trust God, just check the boxes, just show up to all the church events and become this perfect church kid. That is not our approach. We wanna go deeper than that. We wanna be more helpful than that. We wanna take psychology, we wanna take science. We believe God made science. We believe God loves science. God's not afraid of science. God wants to use it to help you and to show you the beautiful nature of the world that we live in. And a couple things that are gonna be kind of coming out over the next couple weeks on the Overflow Instagram page are some songs and some resources and even like a Spotify playlist of songs that you can listen to, that you can fight with. And last night, some of our team was out in the atrium, we can put this photo on the screen, uh, recording some different videos that are gonna be posted on Instagram. And I just think this is such a perfect picture of what it looks like to say like, we're not just gonna like talk at you about this. We wanna like fill you up. We wanna give you as much content, as many resources, and as many open doors to conversations imaginable. So be like on the lookout for that. Be like waiting for that because I really believe that everything that we've got coming out over the next couple weeks is going to be really, really helpful in this conversation. I do have a couple promises that I would like that if you could make me, and yes, some of us, we have not met before and you're like, bro, uh, I'm not making any promises. Well, I would just plead with you. Uh, I just have three things. One is to keep going. If you are meeting with a counselor, if you are on medication for your anxiety right now, if you're in a process, if you're in a conversation, please keep going. Don't leave tonight and go, oh, I've got a fix. Stay doing the work. Have conversations along the way. Keep going. Invite someone in. If no one knows about your struggle, it's time. It is time for someone to know. It is time for someone to join arm in arm with you and journey with you. And then go easy on you. We are really, really great at putting a lot of expectations on ourselves to be perfect, to have all the right answers. And I just wanna say, from the stage, from Overflow, from our staff, just go easy on you. But invite someone in it with you. I believe that it will be helpful. And one thing that I really just want to like, I really wanna like press upon us tonight is that there is a general consensus kind of idea that if you're in counseling or if you're in therapy, there is something broken about you. And I believe that the most healthy leaders that I know, the most healthy people that I've interacted with either have participated in counseling for a season or are in counseling on regularity. I'll be honest with you. I've taken steps over the past week and a half. This is current. This is not made up to pursue having a counselor to talk to. Counseling should be celebrated. Counseling is helpful. 
And just to be really clear again about the way that God sees psychology and the way that God sees therapy and the way that God might see the neurological science of our brains, if he made it, he wants us to use it. And a counselor is a trained professional, somebody that can help us process what we're doing. Paul said to build each other up in his letter to Thessalonica. I don't know what else we need as an excuse to say, I'm gonna get a counselor. If I feel like I need therapy, if I feel like I need to go deeper in a conversation and have somebody intentionally help me, I'm gonna do that. We have relationships with organizations in town. We can help you make connections. I know UNCW and Cape Fear have resources along these lines. I encourage you, if you've ever remotely thought maybe that would be helpful, to take a step towards it. Because I really do believe it could be very helpful to you. And when we think about the Bible and we think about all the different stories that we read uh, in the pages, I, I think that it's very easy for us to focus on the stories of victory. And it's really easy for us to go, oh man, this person was a hero. Man, they really came through or they, they really followed God or Jesus was a really, really great person and he did some really, really great things. Or we can focus on all the high moments. But if we dig down a little bit deeper, if we get beneath the surface, we find that there are stories of mental health all throughout the Bible. There are stories of people who struggle immensely all throughout the Bible. And we're gonna jump into the story of Elijah tonight in 1 Kings and to catch you up as to where we are in the story, I built a little bit of a summary for it. And we're in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got your Bible, you can go there. Uh, I, I love this story for so many different reasons. And I would like earmark it in your Bible because it's a great one to come back to time and time again. But where we are is Elijah is a prophet. Uh, all that means is he is God's spokesperson. Uh, the current reality is that Israel is a divided nation into a northern kingdom and a south uh, kingdom. And Elijah has major beef with a guy named King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Like he does not agree with anything that they do. Uh, they are doing some actually some like really, really bad stuff. And he is calling them out every single chance he's getting. He's like, hey, that's, that's hurtful. You are hurting people. You can't do that. God has a better way. And they are ignoring him tooth and nail. And then there's this huge contest that you may have heard about uh, between Elijah and the God of Baal. Uh, and it's really fascinating. Uh, Elijah and calls down fire from heaven on this super wet fire pit. It's really, really crazy. We're not gonna get into all those details uh, tonight. End of the story for that though, as Elijah and God win, and Jezzy, as I like to call her, uh, she gets mad. She's hot. She's like, I can't believe that you won. I can't believe that you did the things that you did that day to win. Essentially, I can't believe that your God actually showed up and I'm mad about it and I don't know how to lose. That is where we jump into the story of Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, we're gonna jump into verse two. It says, so Jezebel sent the message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me by this time <laughs> tomorrow I have not, if I have not killed you just as you killed them, talking about a war that kind of broke out after this whole interaction went down. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. 
Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down underneath a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And this place that Elijah finds himself in is a place, I think if we're all honest, that we've found ourselves before, where we're, we're just at rock bottom. We don't know which way out is out. We don't know where the light is. We don't know how to even have the next conversation, much less the conversation that we know that we need to have. We don't know if anybody cares. We don't know where hope is. When you heard me say at the very beginning that hope is in the middle, you might be sitting here tonight going, you have no idea what's going on in my world right now. You, you, you don't have the context. And I think a really perfect word to describe what it feels like to sit in that place is despair. And the, the Oxford English Dictionary gives us this definition. If you just Google it, it says the complete loss or absence of hope. And I think this is really interesting because Elijah, just like remember, don't, don't forget, he just came from victory. God showed up, did what he said that he was going to do, and he left, and Jezzy's like, Elijah, I'm gonna come kill you. And just like that, Elijah's back in the pit of despair, going, I don't have any hope. I might be coming from victory, but defeat is on the horizon. What a perfect picture for the rhythm of our mental health. We, we have a really good day. We have some really great conversations. We feel like we're really be beginning to like gain traction in our life and in our thoughts. And then all of a sudden one thing happens and we feel like we're right back at the bottom again. I find it really interesting that a psychiatrist named Mark Golston, I think that's how you say his name. He says despair could be described as despairing, where two halves of the brain begin to, sell, um, to, to separate. And I, as I began to dig into this through multiple different authors, I did not come up with this. I did not do all of the, the, the detailed research for this. But the, the, the little bit that I started to dig into it, I found is that the left-hand side of the brain is, is responsible for logic and the right-hand side of the brain is responsible for emotion. And when we are feeling despair, when we are feeling the absence of hope, it's like the two sides of our brain are beginning to separate to where our emotional side of our brain can't communicate with the logical side of our brain. And the logical side of the brain can't communicate with the emotional side of our brain. And this is a problem because we have nothing to check our emotions with and we have nothing to bring our logic to life with. And I think if you've ever felt this kind of like mental fog or like, I just don't get what's happening. I feel numb. I really, really want to feel something. I think this is a lot of times where self-harm starts is you're just desperate to feel something. So you try cutting yourself or you may fall into a pattern of addiction that is so unhealthy to the condition of your brain, to the condition of your emotional world. It's scientifically proven. I'm, I'm not making this up. It's scientifically proven that we begin to close the gap of despair when we receive love and empathy. The, the way out of despair 
begins with being in a relationship where you can receive love and you can receive empathy. Check this out. When we study the life of Jesus, what did he do the most of? He came and gave love and compassion and empathy to the people that he interacted with, to the people that he met. He spoke value into them. Why? I believe that's the nature of who God is, but also I believe that God knows how we're wired. He knows what we need. God knows that you need love and that you need empathy to keep your thought life together, to keep the sides of your brain functioning in unity together. And I think that that leads us to this idea of we've got to be connected to love and to empathy. And I think that it's really easy for me to say like, yeah, you need to receive love and empathy. And some of you are like, yeah, maybe some, I've got some people in my life who they love me or maybe they are empathetic towards me, but I still can't get it through the exterior surface of my life. I don't feel like I can take hold of the love that they are giving me. And that is why I believe that Brene Brown is so spot on when she says that we are hardwired for connection. We are built for it. Research backs this up, that you and I are hardwired to be in relationship with each other. From the very beginning, when a baby is born, what do they do? They take the baby and they put it on the chest of the mother. I've been studying up, getting ready for linen coming. Like, I, I gotta know these things. From the very beginning, we are hardwired for connection, which is why isolation and staying by yourself all the time is dangerous. You've got to be in community. You're made for it. Because here's what also we know, is that connection paves the way to vulnerability. You're not just gonna be vulnerable with anybody unless you're just trying to kind of get them to think something. If you're gonna be truly authentic, if you're gonna be truly real in your vulnerability, you've gotta be connected and you've gotta be connected consistently. This is why we do community groups. This is why our church is, is building a model of community throughout every single part of our church. From Grow Zone to Treasure Island where our kids hang out to middle school and high school to here at Overflow to adults. We know that we have got to be a church that is good at setting the table for people to be connected because that is where vulnerability happens. And some of you are going, well, does God think that? What happens when I bring all the things, when I bring all the mess out of the darkness and into the light, what does God think about that? And the story with Elijah continues and I believe it paints this perfect picture of how God responds to us and vulnerability. He says in verse nine of chapter 19, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The perfect invitation to go like, hey, what's going on? What, what, what are you feeling? Talk to me, Elijah. Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. In other words, God, I'm unwell. I'm scared. I don't know what's happening next. I don't know what the next play is. 
and I really need some help right now. And I really don't feel like I can be, even begin to see a way out of where I am. But I'm going to be honest with you about it. I'm going to tell you. You ask me why I'm, what I'm doing here, I'm going to be clear. I'm going to be, I'm going to be frank with you, God, that like I need your intervention. I need help. I need your support. And I just think that it's really interesting that oftentimes that idea of bringing like your need for support to God or to people is the hardest thing to do. And I don't know where you are at on this. And I think if we polled everybody in the room, everybody would say I'm at a different place on this idea of there, that there is an enemy in our world. And when you hear me say enemy in the context of church, you're probably sitting here thinking, oh, he's talking about the devil. And yes, that is specifically what I'm referring to. But in your mind, you've got this kind of like idea, this like cartoon idea of what the devil might look like. And what I would just ask for you to do tonight is to not worry about what it looks like, like tangibly, but just think about the evil in our world. You don't have to look very far to see in the news, to see on the internet, the depravity of our world. The enemy is real. There is a force of evil in our world actively working against you. And let me tell you that vulnerability is the thing that's gonna lay down the foundation for victory because being vulnerable, being clear about what you are feeling says to the enemy, says to the force of evil, says to the lie, says to the tension, no, I have the authority to name my struggle. My struggle doesn't have authority to label me. I am bigger than my struggle. And I'm not afraid to get real with how I'm feeling. I'm not afraid to be honest with my people and say, I need some help. That is going to be the catalyst to victory. And sorry, I'm throwing a lot of information at you tonight, but I really want you to have this and I really want you to process this because what goes unnamed goes unhealed. And I think we all, I, I just heard it in the room. Like, that stings. That hurts. Because that's gonna require something courageous of us. That's gonna require us to dare greatly to get gut level honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, what hasn't been named? Our pastor Mike stood up here on Sunday and talked about that and the context of our church and the context of what we are learning right now is the idea that we live in a broken world. And his big recommendation was we've got to name it. And I'm sitting over there going, yes, like we as a church, we as people have got to learn that we have got to name our struggle, and we have authority to name our struggle. Our struggle does not have authority to name or label us. A psychologist named Susan David said that learning to label emotions at a more, with a more nuanced vocabulary can absolutely be transformative. She has several different TED, TEDx videos online. I think you could look her up. I think that it would be really helpful to you. I think it would really provide some really solid perspective. Brene Brown quotes her in the book that I read called Atlas of the Heart in preparation for tonight. But I think that this should stick with us. Can we get specific? Can we get clear? Can we get honest 
about what's going on beneath the surface of our life because we believe, we're learning right now that that is where transformation is going to begin to take root and to take shape in our lives. I really believe that vulnerability is a superpower and Brene Brown talks about it in almost everything that she writes and every, every uh, talk that I've ever watched by her. She talks about vulnerability in some form. And she does a ton of research like we talked about a little bit ago. And I trust her. And I trust the research that she has as things that we can put into practice. But I think it really is beautiful the way that Elijah continues to go back and forth with God. God says to Elijah, he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. Notice this, it's where God says, come close. The Lord told him, and Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Why do we have these things underlined right here? Because I want you to connect those places, those examples with your struggles. The Lord is not the propelling force behind your anxiety, your depression, your struggle. I hear people say a lot, things like, and it's well, they're well-meaning statements but the Lord doesn't give me anything I can't handle. Or the Lord's just testing me. Or the Lord's just like bringing me through the fire so I can stand on the other side of the fire and look back and be able to proclaim how good he has been. Hear me very clearly. God's ability to redeem all things is true and it is real and he is buying back your life. He is saying the things that are hard about your life, I am going to redeem them. But God does not create pain so that he can save the day. We live in a flawed place. We live in a broken world. God enters into pain with love. He does not create pain so that he can give love. I think that that's really important because some of us in the room grew up in church or grew up in conversations around Christianity and we kind of run the risk by those little statements of allowing our brain to believe, oh, God actually might be doing this in some form. When the world is a broken place and we live in that broken place, we are going to experience brokenness. But that does not mean that the brokenness is coming from God. The only thing I believe that you're gonna receive from God is love. So the story goes on and continues to paint this picture. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. Circle gentle whisper with everything you got. Underline it a couple times, like put an explanation beside it because this is really, really important. When Elijah heard, heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave that he was staying in. A gentle whisper. A lot of us are waiting for God to paint the sign in the sky to make it abundantly clear, to make this loud, boisterous entrance to our life. And God is saying, no, I operate differently than the world does. My way is better, and here's why. Because when I'm whispering, when I'm not talking like all of the different things of the world are talking and screaming at you, 
you can distinguish my voice. And I want you close. When you get close to me, everything begins to change. You begin to see the power in connection, the immense importance of vulnerability. You begin to see that God is inherently love, that God isn't waging a war with you or against you. He's standing with you in the fire. He's standing with you in the pain, which is why we can say the statement that there is hope in the middle because God is saying, overflow, people of earth, I am with you right now. And the, way, the places that you are looking for me, I am already there. I have been speaking to you. I have been caring for you. And I want to give you everything that I have. I don't want to hold anything back from you. And your anxiety and your depression and your suicidal ideation and your self-harm patterns and your isolation and your family struggle and your expectations of yourself and your chronic comparison I wanna fill every need that you have. I wanna show you my goodness. I wanna be with you every single step of the way. But then the question becomes, I'm not good enough. I've got so many doubts. I've got so many questions and I don't understand. And I think that this is why it's so important for us to understand that God is with us as we are not as we think that we should be. If we could understand this, if we could live like this is true, that God is standing in the middle of our life, he is standing in the middle of our struggle and he is with us and he is passionate about us and he loves us and he likes us. He wants to spend time with us. He's gonna whisper to help pull us close. If we could live like this is true, how different would it be when we talk about our struggles? Notice, it's not that we're gonna stop talking about them, but the way that we refer to them and the way that we see ourselves begins to change. And that is the footing that we need to be in to wage the war that is in front of us. How do we do that? Like what's practical? Like what, what steps can you take tonight, what steps can you take in the week ahead to participate actively in this conversation? A rhythm of stillness is idea number one, and to practice remembrance. The rhythm of stillness slows us down to say, God, I'm with you, and I'm just going to work to trust that you are for me as I am, not as I think that I should be. And remembrance the practice of remembrance, the spiritual practice. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday as well. It's just the rhythm of getting up in the morning and going to bed at night going, I'm gonna put in front of me today that God is good, that God is not creating my pain. He is in my pain with me. And he's gonna speak to me in such a way that I can recognize his voice in time and I'm gonna follow his instruction to be connected, to be honest about how I'm feeling and allow that to be truly transformative in our life. I'd love to invite you to stand where you are and 
I love all of the imagery that we, we find throughout the story of Jesus and as we begin to like unpack like who Jesus was and what he came to do and the things that he said along the way. And there's several different things that I really want you to like take away about Jesus from this series and this conversation. But today, I'd love for you to know that Jesus is the stronger one. Jesus came to win. He's going to continue to win and invite you to the victory circle. And he's gonna be with you every single step of the way. And right before he left, Matthew records him saying this, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that he said, and be sure of this, knowing this is gonna be hard to believe sometimes. This is gonna be complex sometimes, but don't miss it, child. I'm going to be with you every step of the way and bringing you along with his victory in every moment and in every season. Jesus, thank you for tonight. And thank you for Jesus and the reality of who he was and the who he is today. And God, thank you for him being the stronger one. This image of him coming and declaring victory on our behalf. God, I pray, I ask, I plead that all of the people in this room tonight and who may be watching online from home tonight or wherever in the world tonight, that we would be able to be people that say, we're trusting that you are with us right as we are, not as we think that we should be. God, I pray that we would feel your hope that is in the middle of our struggle and that we would be people that step in to your victory and into your hope. God, we love you. We say this in the name of Jesus. Amen.